And AJ is ready. So welcome to another edition of the Nerdy Agent Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Pedersen, with my brother and one nerd, AJ. Josh is not here today. I'm not sure why. AJ, do you know the reason? Uh, I think he is the daycare today. He's the daycare today. So he is with his children today talking about nerdy real estate topics all day. Today we are going to discuss current real estate hot hitter topics. But first, I have a story about baseball from the Super Regionals last night. For those who don't know, the Super Regionals are like the Sweet 16 for NCAA basketball and it's a three-game series. The winner of the series goes to what's called the College World Series, which is the final eight teams in the country. Well, last night, Stanford and Texas were playing to go to the College World Series. The winner advances, and Texas, who had been kind of clawing all weekend, won one game, lost one game, was down 6-3 to three in the top of the eighth inning, where they rallied back with two outs and tied the game 6-6. Six to six. So in the bottom of the eighth, they brought in their ace, who's the Big 12 pitcher of the year this year, I believe, who had pitched on Friday 110 pitches, something crazy. He came in, gets through the bottom of the eighth, gets to the bottom of the ninth with two outs and the bases loaded. And this dude is, these these Stanford hitters were battling the entire time. It was incredible. It was so hard to get anybody out in this game. And the guy hits a hits a, just an easy fly ball to center field. Can of corn. A, just a can of corn. And the outfielders at 10 o'clock at night with the lights on just don't see it. The ball just lands in between everybody. And the season ends for the Texas Longhorns and Stanford goes to the College World Series. The reason I wanted to bring this up is because I was sitting there watching this game and I felt so bad for these guys but and, and bad for the outfielders who couldn't see it, but especially bad for everybody else on this field. Because if I was, for example, I was I played in the Super Regional my senior year of college. If I was at second base in that scenario, I wouldn't have been able to catch the ball. So I would have been standing there and I would have had no say and no control in how my career was going to end. Did you see the second baseman run after the ball? He, yeah, he was sprinting. sprinting. He couldn't get to it. No. It was way too far into the outfield. As soon as he saw both outfielders kind of like throw their hands up, he just started sprinting. It was it was it was tough to watch. The first and the catcher literally walked down front and just put his hands on his knees and put his head down like this. The reason I bring this story up is because and I shot a video I'm going to post today on Instagram about this, but in real estate, you there's just only there's so many things you can't control. Sometimes you, the ball goes in the lights. Sometimes the ball goes in the lights and you're somebody else doesn't see it, right? And so just remember that even when you do everything you possibly can for a client, especially in this market, when you submit an offer and multiple offers and you think it's great, you just can't control when another buyer, one of the other seven has cash and they call the cash buyer back and they match your offer because they're cash and you're 5% down conventionally. You just can't control that. Um, and so just keep in mind, it's, it's a tough story and it's going to be hard for your buyers in general in that situation, but they still have to wake up today and go about the rest of their lives. And they still have to, some of them play baseball at a, at a different level. So um, I thought that story was. And remember when you think it's really bad, at least a million people aren't watching it happen on TV. Yeah. It can get worse because yeah. that was definitely worse. I can promise you. And tomorrow you're still going to be in real estate. Some of those guys will never play baseball at a competitive level ever again. Mm-hmm. That's the end of their career. Totally. Um, so not to get too much into baseball, which we love baseball. So we obviously try and tie it in where we can. Um, but like I said, we're going to discuss real estate hot hitter topics. So we essentially should, just thought, should we do a would you rather first? Do you have a would you rather? I was replacing I can, the would you rather I can with do that. A would you rather? Sure. What do you have? 
Luke is into fishing now a little bit, guys. <laughs> He's not coming on on uh, Thursday for our team don't tell, fishing don't, trip. Don't tell up. them. Don't tell them that I do not have my fishing license. Oh gosh, we'll need to get one. Don't tell the gov. So, uh, Luke, would you rather catch a monster bass or a small walleye? Is there a chance in either scenario that I don't end up catching a fish? Nope. Then it doesn't matter. I just want to catch a, a fish. fish. Nice. I love that. <laughs> I want to catch a little walleye, but I do love. A big bass. Good fight. I'm going tomorrow morning, I think too. I go with the bigger. I definitely go with the bigger fish just because I've never caught a fish. So I feel like if you've never caught a fish, it's more about the size of yep. the fish All versus like, I don't care. I won't be able to tell which fish it is anyways. Yeah. Right. I you will. Know. Don't worry. AJ will be able to. But that's great. Anyway, on to the topics. Wait, why walleye? Uh, they're a super elusive fish. Very difficult to catch. Having never caught one. And you've caught bass. Lots of bass. Lots of bass. And sunnies. And Big sunnies and some some northern. All right, uh, getting into the hot hitter topics. Uh, the first one, CPI numbers came out today, I believe. Yeah, they came out today. So uh, AJ, just to get started, what are the numbers, and then what were the what were the targets as well with those numbers? So the CPI is the Consumer Price Index. It's the uh, change in a bundle of goods month over month, year over year. We saw a zero point one percent increase for the month and a 4% increase year over year. Um, the core number, which excludes food and energy, rose 0.4 month over month and 5.3 year over year. The big thing, if you're a math nerd, which we are on this podcast, um, is to notice that if you multiply the month over month changes by 12, they're quite a bit lower, especially on the overall headline number. Um, than the actual inflation, right? So if we saw 0.1% increases every single month for 12 months, we'd be right around 1% to 2%, which is 2% is kind of the benchmark number they're shooting for. So you're seeing these prices and uh, this index start to come back down into a more reasonable number. That being said, it's still double what they want it to be. So the Fed wants 2% inflation. Um, the thing I've been telling everybody that I think is funny is we probably will eventually hit that when all of the bad numbers completely roll off of these um, these metrics. So every month that we have today is going to be better than we had for that same month a year ago. Because a year ago was really bad. Right. But because if, even if we return to 2% inflation, we still reset all of the prices at a much higher number than they were before, right? So it's kind of funny. And I know they're using metrics that are more than just this rudimentary type index number but if you know the the numbers increased by nine percent year over year at one point right that's very very high it's hard for that four and a half times what they want you would argue it's almost impossible for that to happen again it's happened in places but to have another nine percent year over year increase would be a lot our federal reserve is very hell-bent on making sure it doesn't happen but that being said the prices still went up 9%. So even if they go back to two, they still had that happen 11. in the past, right? No, they're 11% over Whatever, two right? So they're, they're still, it's going to take a while for them to normalize a little bit and for life to get somewhat more affordable. That being said, wages are also rising. Um, the one interesting real estate related thing is that uh, shelter prices, which is um, rent, home prices, all that kind of thing, uh, made up a massive amount of the increase, and it was the biggest contributor uh, to the headline CPI reading at 0.6% month over month. So we're still seeing rents and real estate prices increasing at a pace much higher than they historically have. 
and that is causing this inflation number to be a little more sticky, I think, than, than we were anticipating. So I think the Fed thought if we increase the rates, that's going to bleed through to the mortgage rates, which it has, and hopefully that will decrease the demand enough. Um, but with real estate being uh, such a seller and buyer dynamic, it's actually decreased the inventory so much because people aren't selling their good rates that they have locked in for 30 years in the past. So it's kind of a unique marketplace, and we're seeing that demand is still outstripping supply in that, and that's causing this overall headline benchmark number to be uh, 4% year over year. Uh, so pretty wild. So historically, the prices of goods have gone up, obviously. I mean, in the 50s, the cost of something was significantly less than what it is today. Do you, and wages are increasing, which is, this is typically how this goes in an economy. However, do you think that at some point we'll see any sort of deflation in, in the sense of it went up so fast over a short period of time that stuff will come down at all or it's just going to continue to increase? They're just trying to get to increase at a I, smaller amount. Yeah, I think all the numbers we're seeing would suggest that that's probably not going to uh, happen anytime, at least anytime soon unless okay. something completely changes. Now, um, the the cool thing is the Bureau of Labor Statistics also does um, releases their numbers too. So uh, average hourly earnings adjusted for inflation rose 0.3%. Real earnings uh, on an annual basis are up 0.2%. So the wage growth is actually outpacing the inflation now. That's what you want to see. You... Yes and no. I think the one thing that we've talked about is what's called the wage price spiral, which is what you don't want to happen, which is people, unemployment being low, wages going up leads to people saying, I need to make more money. I'm either going to switch jobs. I'm going to ask for a raise. I'm going to do whatever. And and then the employers are stuck saying, do I want to, uh, you know, play by those rules? Do I want to retrain somebody or do I want to kind of roll with this? And so you're seeing these earnings start to pick up because people are saying it's more expensive for me to be living uh, in today's world because of the inflation, which then causes the cost of it, the cost of staffing to go up, and then it costs, and then it leads to the cost of the goods to go up, and it kind of is this like continuum, right? So they're tr we're not in that right now, I don't think, and the numbers aren't super out of whack, but that's one thing you that could see happen. pushing. Uh, these inflation numbers forward. And that's why they always talk about we need more unemployment. So there's a little more power on the employer, kind of like the seller or the buyer, right? So that the dynamics shift a little bit so that they can keep wages in check to a point where they, the price of the goods doesn't go up too. I get that. That makes sense. So interesting data, really important. Um, the market is pricing in a 93% chance that the, that the Fed does not increase rates tomorrow. So that's up from 80% last week. And I think it's up from like 50-50, like two or three weeks ago. So the market is really, really confident that they are not going to increase the overnight federal funds rate tomorrow when they meet uh, at the FMOC meeting. So that's something for agents to look out for. But also, again, I know we say this every time, listen to what they actually say too, not what they do. So they're going to bring up a lot of different numbers that are important to them. And they're going to talk about where they see things going in the future. And people have said they might not increase it and they might wait a month, two months, whenever that next meeting is, and they might say, we have to increase it again now. Um, just because they pause on rate increases, which is what potentially is going to happen tomorrow, doesn't mean that they're done. So the chances of a rate cut were priced in very, very high by the end of the year. And now those numbers are starting to reflect that maybe that's not going to happen. 
if someone wants to watch the uh, him speak tomorrow, where do they where would they find that? CNBC will have a live CNBC. stream of it. That's what I like to follow. And what time's time. it at? Do you know? I believe it's at two p.m. Eastern time. There you go. So, so if you want to follow that, that is very valuable information to learn about. Maybe next week we can talk about what he said. That'd be great. So we can kind of recap everything. If you want to watch that tomorrow, and then we can recap it next week together. Um, the next topic we have is OfferPad, and they executed a one for 15 reverse stock split. So to start on this one, this one's a little wordy. Explain what a reverse stock split is. Yeah, so um, a reverse stock split. So EXP, for instance, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, did a stock split last year. Mm -hmm. um, not a reverse, but a forward-looking stock split. So if you had one share, you now have two shares. Um, and they're both worth half of what the one was. Exactly. It just cuts the price in half and gives you two of them. So if the value was 100 and they did a stock split, now you have, instead of having one share at 100, you have two shares at $50. Usually when that happens, it signals um, on a split that the company's feeling very good and they want to make it make sure that everybody can buy a share, right? So they want the price to go down because you have to buy these in whole shares. There's more liquidity, right? Um, some famous companies that haven't done much of this, like Berkshire Hathaway, I think is trading at, I'll tell you right now, which is Warren Buffett's company. Uh, that trades at $510,875.90 per share. So it's not. So you have to, in order to, this isn't like uh, cryptocurrency. In order to buy a share of that, you have to spend $510,000. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So pretty wild. And they, they famously, I don't know if they've ever done a stock split, but they famously don't do that. It's just not what they, interesting, whatever, right? So their stock is very, very expensive and unattainable for pretty much everybody. Um, OfferPad has been trading uh, very, very low in recent days, and they've been notified by the New York Stock Exchange that they are going to get delisted. If they get below us, what's the... It's $1. $1. And I don't know how long they let it it's run It's a rolling for. period. There's a certain period. Well, so to avoid being delisted, um, they just split the stock 15 ways. So if you own 15 shares at $1, now you own one share at $15, right? For round numbers. Um, their stock is now trading at $8.22, which means it was trading around 50 cents before. Um, so all those stocks got split 15 ways. Do we know what happens if anybody owns less than 15 shares? I do not know what happens. I would imagine that you're required to sell until you get into, into bunches into of 15. 15, yeah, that would make sense. So interesting news. We've talked about OfferPad before. They're an iBuyer. Um, obviously, it's very beneficial for them to be trading on, not on like the pink slips. So they're they're wanting to be trading on the New York Stock Exchange. So um, they converted their stock into now one, 15 shares is now one share this reverse stock split. And essentially what that that shows, like the opposite of where EXP was, where they were saying this is going really well. Um, you could argue this is showing, you know, it's maybe not going as well as we had hoped it was going. And we just want to stay on the stock exchange. Yep, exactly. So I think, yeah, it just makes it look like their stocks, each share is worth a little bit more money. So it's going to hopefully help them to generate more investor interest. One would argue that it might be really hard to get ever removed from the New York Stock Exchange if you could just reverse stock split into a higher per price stock? I think at some point you probably end up in a situation where it's going very, very poorly and it, Everything falls apart. it continues to get worse and worse. Um, I mean, this company was valued at 2.7 when it went public through a SPAC in 2021 and the market cap today is closer to 200 million. So 
It's about one fourteenth of the value that it was when it opened. And this has not affected their price per share yet. Uh, their price per share is trading at eight twenty two this morning. So they're up fifteen hundred percent on my Google search, which isn't really accurate because no. they're actually up a very small. I mean, fifteen hundred percent would be even up today. Yeah. And when did they when did they initiate this? Today. Oh, they did. I believe so. Yep. Yeah. So it hasn't, but it hasn't changed. It stayed decently steady since they've done it. So I'm curious in the next couple of days if people start to sell off or kind of what that looks like. Um, so then the EXP stock is the next one we want to talk about. Nothing, nothing um, inherently crazy as no like big news about it, except that it's been trading pretty well lately. Yeah. I mean, the big news actually would be oh. that um, it got added to the small cap S&P 600. Um, so for those that don't understand that, um, there are different groupings of stocks and companies within, uh, you know, different uh, tranches throughout the, the economy and the stock exchanges. So the S&P small cap 600 is Standard & Poor's um, index for small cap companies. What they do, so you maybe have heard about the S&P 500, that would be the 500 companies that they deem to be uh, relevant in the top 500, right? So uh, if you go on Fidelity, Schwab, uh, Merrill Lynch, kind of where, wherever you hold stock today, you could buy many different ETFs that are basically tracking the S&P 500. Um, it's a good benchmark to understand where the overall market is going, kind of like the Dow Jones. Um, but the small cap 600 is basically getting added to that signals that we think this company is legitimate and we think that they have a good business model. They're making money. Um, they're doing well, and that's why they're getting included. When that happens, the investors say, oh, wow, the big uh, bureau that determines who gets included in this you know, bucket of 600 companies thinks this is a great company. So what happened uh, when, that, when that got, they got added last week, uh, I believe it was like six days ago, um, the stock really started to rise because there was a lot of trading activity. Notably, um, they're added to all the ETFs. So if you wanted to go buy the S&P small cap 600, you can buy that on an ETF now. EXP is included in that bucket. So trading volume on a, on a normal day is around 700,000 trades. Um, we saw 4.2 million, I think maybe even closer to 5 million by the end of the day, the first day. So it, it had a ton of volume right away. Um, the other thing that happens is there's a lot of momentum in the stock market. So when a stock starts trading upward, um, the short float on EXP was pretty high. So that's the short seller saying, this stock is overvalued. We think it's going to go down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the money on the difference when it goes down. So kind of like the big short real estate, if you guys kind of know what all that you stuff You should means. watch that uh, movie if you haven't. It's great. Plug the big short. But when a stock is shorted fairly heavily and the stock rises, that leads to all the shorts having to cover their positions. Otherwise, they're going to lose a ton of money. So Just hit 20 on the dot again. There we go. It's back up to 20 bucks. So um, we've seen it trade as low as like seven, eight bucks, I think, over the past uh, 52 weeks. I don't know what the 52-week low was, but um, here, 996 is the 52-week low. Um, so it's about double that right now. So the market cap has gone from about 1.5 billion to, uh, 3 billion, uh, you know, within the last year, which is pretty wild. So again, not a pitch for a brokerage, but it's something super exciting for us being at eXp because we do have ownership in the company. We do own stock. Um, and so having it rise on paper, at least, uh, it does increase our positions. In not, yeah, not to mention we track the we track the stocks of every single publicly traded real estate company there is, right? And so, even if you're not with EXP, not to plug EXP, it's just good to know what's happening with other companies and what this signals. Um, 
and for those who just so we run the actual numbers, it was at like 15, 16 bucks before last week when this was announced. Got up to like 21. Yeah, it went back to 19, back the, to 20. In the last five days, it's up 21%. In the last yeah, month, it's go. up 49%. Yeah. So it's a pretty wild rise. It's been doing pretty well. Um, that's all we have for the hot hitter topics, unless you have any anything else you want to add today. I don't think so. Um, we kind of remixed this one. We're going to have uh, Melanie, our in-house stager, joining us next week, which we're pretty excited about. She's going to talk about all things staging, why it's important, um, what you need to know about it from the from a buyer perspective and a seller perspective. So like when you're touring a house and it is staged, what you need to mention maybe to your clients because it does make a difference on how a place looks. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, again, not to hammer too hard on it, but as an agent, the first topic on the CPI is very, very important. So listening to the um, FMOC meetings, reading the recaps on them, and then tracking the 10-year treasury yield and the uh, 30-year fixed rates will definitely help you to better advise your clients. The more that you know about what's going on, the better you can help people prepare and the better you can give them good expectations for the future. If you're confused about that or researching it yourself, your lender, your preferred lender should have some sort of information about it. You can call them. They should be able to break this stuff down for you um, in a pretty easy way so you can forward that on to your clients. And that's all we have this week for the Nerdy Agent Podcast. And as always, remember, be better.